be out of John uh, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. So that's John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him has eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe him believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for the deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for this example of looking to your son, Jesus, for salvation. Uh, How wonderful it is that we can know these truths and have faith provided by you that, that we would trust and know that we have a destiny of heaven with you. We praise you for it. We praise you for just um, today that we can experience being in your light. We ask that would be the truth as we're here, hearing your word and being excited about it and being changed by it, Father, by that, your Holy Spirit, and so many good things to praise you for. And we thank you and just ask that Steve, that you would give him clarity as he shares these things and open our hearts to be changed, as we said, because we want to be just as your son as much as possible here. And uh, we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all here on this Lord's Day. Glad you could be with us. Yeah, I remember way back in uh, third grade and third grade is playing the fourth grade for recess and softball up there in Fonda, Iowa, and, and uh, I'd bat about last, okay, and I'd pay what's called super left outfield, because I was the one who'd get the home runs after they were way out there. Anyway, but yeah, I was chosen there at the bottom too, but it's good to know that we're chosen by the Lord. That's the single most important choosing that there is. Glad you could be with us today. Um, there's a lot of information in the world But the most important information, of course, is God's word, and most specifically, it's the gospel message, the message that tells us how we can be saved from sin, can be given eternal life, can be made right with God. And God's given us four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're four biographies of Jesus Christ. The main theme, of course, is it talks about who Jesus is. It talks about what he's like. It talks about what he did. And what he did for us, and in many different places there, the gospel message is explained. 
We're taking a few weeks to look at this gospel message from the Gospels, and I really, I really just have a sense it's an extremely important subject as we take this time. Today we'll be looking at the gospel message from the Gospel of Luke. Turn to Luke 1, 76 to 78. Some of these verses I'm just going to reference. Other passages are too long to be able to read in the course of the time, the time we have here today. But, but I wanted to just mention this, too, that as we begin here, Luke 1, 76 to 78 of the verses, is that the purpose of this time is though we ourselves individually can be encouraged as we think about the gospel message and how it applies to us. Secondly, that we'd be ones who are more than equipped to help other believers understand the gospel message and also then help unbelievers we all understand there's lots of good gospel tracts out there, but I really believe it's important for us as Christians as we mature to learn how to use the word of God to help people. So if you talk to some person who's unsaved, well, let me show you this passage. And, and I'm going to give you many passages, not just one. And so what I'm even saying is with specificity, that is, hey, this person is thinking this way, this particular gospel passage would be the best for this person. That's what God wants for us. And so we're going to be going through a lot of things over the course of the next, I'm not sure if it's three weeks or four. I thought it'd be just a couple, but things expand as we go along. Luke chapter 1, 76 to 78, read here, it says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. This is Zechariah speaking. He's the father of John the Baptist, and he's telling us the purpose of John the Baptist, that he was to be one who was to prepare the way for the people. And what we see, and we're going to see this a little later here in Luke chapter 3, is that John the, John the Baptist was sharing the gospel. He was telling people about Jesus and how then they could receive salvation through Jesus, how they could be saved from sin and from death and from hell and from the wrath of God. And we see there in verse 78, the motivation, God's motivation was because of his tender mercy, his great love for us, the great compassion that he had for us. This verse here, I like this verse, 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atonement for our sins. So there's Luke 1. We go on, continue on, Luke chapter 2, another little section here, verses that relate to the gospel. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, you know these verses from the Christmas story. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's this angel talking to these shepherds, these poor shepherds there out at night about this good news, and it's a message that brings us joy. And the only way that we can have joy as people, true joy as people, is ones who know God, ones who then are forgiven of our sins. And the angels then talk about this baby Jesus, and they describe him then as one who is a Savior, that he's to save us from our sins. They also go on to talk about how he then is the Christ, that is the Messiah, that is Messiah, Christ, a word that means uh, uh, anointed, 
that is that's God himself anointed and chose his own son to be the one who'd be our savior. And thirdly, what we see in this verse, he used the word Lord, referring to this Jesus as the Lord, the Lord being the one who then is God. He's God in the flesh. He's both God and man. So in these two, ver- two verses, we see this important description of Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who's to be the Savior. So we understand this important aspect of the gospel. We go to Luke chapter 3. We're not going to read this section. It's verses 1 through 18. This whole section of verses is about how John is preaching the gospel. You can learn a lot of things from him. I'm just going to share a couple of things. First, we go to verse 18. I'll read this with many other exhortations. He preached the gospel to the people. So we see that was his main purpose. With many exhortations, he preached the gospel. Go to verse 3. He came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a gospel of repentance. John then was stressing the importance of repentance and was telling people that they needed to repent of their sins. And if they repented, then they'd be ones then whose lives would change. They'd be ones whose lives would bear fruit. And if they didn't repent, They'd be ones who would suffer wrath. And what we see here is he's warning the people. And sometimes, this is instructive for us here. We're with people. And, it, and sometimes it's necessary for us to warn people. We're telling people, warn, warn them. Tell them, if, if you don't repent, it's, it's not going to be good. You're going to suffer the wrath of God forever and ever. Sometimes we're too nice. Okay? And I'm not saying they're wrong. We need to be nice and pleasant, speak the truth and love, but we need to be strong at times too. And John is, is a good example of one who was warning people. We go to Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. And this is Jesus talking in the synagogue in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Just said a few things here. But this, again, summarizes his purpose on earth, that he was to share the gospel. But he tells us that he'd release those captured by their sin. He would give spiritual sight to those blinded by their sin and would free those who then were oppressed by their sin. And, and, and part of what Jesus is saying there is he could look at people, we go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 36, 37 on this, and it says he looked at the people and saw they were distressed and downcast, like they were, they were helpless and harassed because of their sin. And, and this is an important thing for us as we think about people and sharing the gospel, is seeing the condition of people. We look at people, we see what they look like, their smiles, their clothes, but if they're lost inside, they are hurting big time, and that's what Jesus is saying here. They are troubled. They are helpless, they are harassed, they are distressed, they are downcast. Here he says they're oppressed and they're blind and they're caught in their sin. So it's an important thing. This is what gave, helped to give Jesus this compassion. Then we read that he speaks of the favorable year of the Lord. This is, of course, speaking of the church age because it's during this time that God wants to show mercy mercy to the people. And of course, that means that it's during this time when we as people, we as members of the church, both individually and collectively, we then are to be ones who are sharing the gospel, knowing this is the time. This is the time that God wants to save people. We keep on going, verse 43, the same chapter. He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. We, we see verses here where he says, I'm preaching the gospel, but you need to connect the gospel to the kingdom of God. And the whole point is very simple. As you talk to the people about the gospel and they get saved, and it's at that point then that they enter the kingdom of God. We know what, we know what 
that Jesus said to uh, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is an important thing because we talk about going to heaven. I think a better word when you know, talk people get saved is they're entering the kingdom of God. That, that's what we need to see. We're entering the kingdom of God. And that's a big word. There's a lot to say about that as well because right now we're in this spiritual kingdom as members of the church. We think of, of Paul there in 2 Timothy 4, 18. He says, hey, I'm going to be quickly going to the heavenly kingdom. He, he was differentiating. There's this spiritual kingdom. I'm going to be taken off for the heavenly kingdom pretty soon. And so we see there these different aspects of this word kingdom. This, this phrase, I've read this before, but I like this. A great way to summarize what happens when we're saved. It says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Again, another verse about what happens when you're saved. You become a member of the kingdom of God, a permanent member of the kingdom of God. We continue, Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. Luke 5, 17 to 21. One day he was teaching. There were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and led him down through the tiles with the stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Many thoughts here about the gospel, and as we're going through here, you can sort of sense I'm just picking out a few, okay, summarizing some main points. What we see here is that Jesus did two miracles, right? It's pretty obvious. He healed this person physically, and he healed him spiritually. That is, he forgave his sins. That's the point. But the overall point here is who can do this? How those Pharisees questioned at the end. Who can forgive sins? Only God, through Christ, can forgive sins. And who can heal people like this? So the physical healing and the spiritual healing is only done by Jesus Christ. Only he has the authority and, on, uh, the, authority and the power on this earth to do this. That's, that's the point there. If we continue on, we go to Luke chapter 5, verses 30 to 32. Pharisees and their scribes began crumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again, we see the importance of repentance, and the theme we're seeing here in the Gospel of different than the Gospel of John, is here we're seeing this word repentance used over and over and over again. And to go to the Gospel of John, it's not used once. It's, 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 it's the word believe, believe, believe. But repentance is important. Repentance means that you, you recognize your sin. It means you want to change. You really have a desire to change your attitude towards sin. That, he, that is, you don't like sin anymore. You see that sin is bad and hurtful and harmful and corruptive both in this life and in the next so you don't want to sin. You want to be a spiritually changed person. That's the whole idea of repentance. Without repentance, there's no salvation. Repentance first, and then believing in Christ is the one who is the answer. Read here about the self-righteous. They don't think they're spiritually sick. Therefore, they don't repent of their sins. But those then who know they are spiritually sick, who know then that they are sinners, these are the ones then who come to Jesus 
And they're the ones who then repent of their sin. So that, that's simply the message there. We continue on. Luke chapter 7. We're not going to read these verses. It's a story of this sinful woman. The verses go from, I think, verses 36 to 50. You have a sinful woman. She was a prostitute. She knew she was a sinner. She knew Jesus was at this particular house. She goes there. You think about the, the, the courage that God gave her to go there. She goes there to see Jesus. That's why she's there. She's weeping, and she's wiping Jesus' feet with her tears. That is what she is doing. She wants to be forgiven. Clearly, we know she's repentant by her actions, right? The actions tell. She didn't say anything. By her actions, we know she is repentant. She was sorry that she had sinned against God, sinned against Jesus. And Jesus forgives her. He says that her faith saved her. That is Jesus, that is this woman then believed in Jesus, believed that he was Messiah, believed that he's the one who could save her, save her from her sins. And that's exactly what he did. But there's one more thing, very important. This woman sinned a lot. And therefore, is forgiven a lot. And therefore, loved God. A lot. And the lesson is so important for our lives. We see that we're sinners, that we've sinned a lot, and we see that we've been forgiven a lot, and therefore we love God a lot. There's, there's one thing I think of, I'm not going to give me any particular verses, I think of Paul. There's no doubt that, that as he went through life, he was recalling the fact of not maybe specific sins, but the fact that he was a sinner. Man, I was the worst of sinners at the end of his life, meaning I was really a sinner, but, man, I'm forgiven, and I love God a lot, and I'm going to keep serving the Lord. So you see that. And so sometimes our love for God is shallow because we don't see the depth of our sin and then the depth of the forgiveness of our sins and therefore then the motivation to love the Lord in a great way. Luke 13, 1 to 5, we continue. Let's read these verses here. Instructional verses. Luke 13, verses 1 to 5 says, On that same occasion there were some present who reported him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Five simple lessons from here. First of all, people may die before you expect them to die. That is, people die unexpectedly. And this tells us two different examples. We read the people who die unexpectedly may die accidentally. This tower that fell on these people, of course, we know that God is sovereign, but we call it an accident. Accident. And then, of course, there's the story of people who were died because it was planned, it was premeditated, Pilate murdered these different Jews, okay? So there was purposeful. So we see that people die unexpectedly. This happens, we know this, we hear about this probably, about every, probably every day of the week. Secondly, when people who die, people die and are unsaved, then they perish. They perish. Perish is, I said before, sort of a nice word. Um, we talk about perish. Oftentimes we see it in just a simple verb form. It takes place at a point in time. Person, person dies. That means he perishes. No, perish means to destroy and to destroy utterly. It means destruction. It's referring to hell. A person who perishes is being destroyed forever and ever apart from God. That is what perish means. Not just simple verb form, die at this point in time. Thirdly, some people who died were Galileans. Now, I'm sort of surmising here. But the Galilean portion of, of Israel is more than the northern part. 
was more the lower to the middle class part, okay? Siloam was more, you know, towards Jerusalem, okay? Jerusalem, that's more the rich people, more the middle to upper class. The point I want to make here is this, very simply, because he gives these examples of two groups of people. We tend to look at people in different ways, and the point is this, is everyone dies. Everyone dies. Whoever they are, rich, poor, black, white, men, women, young, old, everyone dies. And everyone apart from Christ perishes. Very, very simple. Fourthly, a person who dies suddenly isn't necessarily a greater sinner than a person who lives longer, who lives a long life, who dies when they're 80 or 90 or 100. Okay? We sometimes think that. That person died early because he must have been a great sinner. Don't think that way. People who live longer aren't necessarily better people than others. I know some people that are live older, they're really great sinners. You know the same. So don't do that. We should never do that. The point is this, all people are sinners, and all people deserve to die. All people are sinners. All people deserve to die. I gave you this stat a month ago. Every day in this world, 333,000 people die every day. That's 231 a minute. It's about four every second. That's a lot. Okay, and we're going to talk about this a little later because the majority of people who die go where? To go to hell. So you say, let's say that 231 die this minute I'm talking here. Okay, does that mean 150? That means 200? Whoa, I mean, this is real stuff. During this one minute I'm talking about, this is like 150 people are going to hell apart from God forever and ever and ever. This is sobering, and it should be sobering. Finally, deaths are to be a lesson. They're to be a wake-up call, especially to sinners. They are to be a wake-up call. These people die in this example Jesus gave, and you all know about people dying. There are all kinds of accidents. You might watch the news tonight, and somebody died today for something, some accident here or whatever. Sometimes it's just one or two people die at one time. Sometimes it's a... It's a hurricane or earthquake where there's tens of thousands that die in a single point in time. Point is, sinners need to repent of their sin before it's too late. Before it's too late. And if they don't repent before it's too late, before they die, then they perish and go to hell. And that's what he's saying here. You better repent. I mean, I, I, you think Jesus, he's, he's, a, he's a really nice person. He was super strong in these verses, wasn't he? He didn't say, well, let's, let's pray for the families of those who died. It's a good thing to do. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. He doesn't do that. He gets right to the heart of the matter. The main reason for their dying is so other people wake up and see that they're going to die physically, and they don't get right before, by, by God before they die physically. They're going to perish forever. That's, that's the point. You, you can't miss this. So strong. We continue. Luke 13. 22 to 28. I want to read this. He was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you bring, begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught 
on our streets, and he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. Again, a few lessons. I'm going through this quickly, as you can tell, but just to help you see these points here, these main points about the gospel. First of all, only a few people are saved. We have no idea what a few means. Does that mean 10%, 20, 30, 40? We know it's not the majority. It's the minority. We know that. Matthew 7, 13, 14 says this way, The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter, many enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to eternal life. See the contrast, destruction, eternal life. Now, you go to the Greek, and that word destruction is the noun form of that word perish. Remember the word perish? It could see perish here, but this is the noun form. It's the same idea, only here it says this is destruction. Eternal destruction, or another simpler word, is hell. Second, every person needs to be aware of his need to be saved and strive to be saved and seek to be saved. And what that means is this. Is, is in, in life, people want a lot of things. Oh, I want to live in a nice house, or I want to go out to eat tonight, or I want to watch my special show on TV tonight, or, you know, I want to do this, I'd like to have a good relationship, whatever. They, a lot of things want, and not all things bad. But the point is this, what is the most important thing to want or desire? What is it? It's obvious here. It's, it's to know where you're going to spend eternity, to, to know Christ and the gospel, be saved from your This is it. So he says, you can, this is what you should want, and we know the devil is a great deceiver, the great distractor. He distracts people. So many things. He's a liar. And it's not just the devil's people's flesh. It's the world of flesh and the devil, the enemies of any person. And so the point is this. A person needs to be aware and know that his time living on this earth is the only time during which he can be saved. And, 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 and when this time is over, whether it's Christ returning or whether it's his death, then that opportunity to get saved is over. The door to eternal life is shut. And so when you talk to people, it's, it's good to talk this way. Did you know that there's a door that's open and you can get saved? But did you know that that door is going to shut? And that when you die, the door is shut? Or when Christ returns, it's shut? And you can knock and pound and all you want to do and scream and yell, that door won't open forever. Open, simple point, but it, but it illustrates it very, very well. The door is open. Now you're alive. Now's the time. Don't wait. Get saved before it's too late. Next thing is many people are deceived. Many people think they're going to heaven when they're going to hell. That's a huge point. We could talk about this for a long time. Maybe I should say most people are deceived. You go do a... You do a poll on the street. Hey, you going to heaven or hell? Well, I think I'm going to heaven. I mean, how many are going to say, I think I'm going to hell? There may be some, but the majority is, hey, most people are deceived. I wouldn't say many. Maybe it's both. These people do good works, but they don't realize that good works don't make them saved, don't save them, don't bring them eternal life. They do, don't do that. That's all by the grace of God, Ephesians 2, verse. By grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourself, not of good works, lest any man should boast. It's not by your good works. People are deceived. It's so sad. They don't realize that they're sinners and they're evildoers in the sight of God and that they deserve to be punished. I mean, yes, this question of a person, you know, on the street, do you think you deserved to go to hell? 
What are they going to say? I don't think most would say that. I don't think so. Maybe some, but maybe most of them don't believe there's a hell. It's probably 50% do, 50% don't. But the point is, people don't think this way. But people who die unsaved will go to hell. That place, Colossians 1.13, called the domain of darkness, is a place of extreme and eternal pain. It's a place of punishment. As I said before, it's deserved punishment. It's deserved. Next, people who die and are saved will be in the kingdom of God. And that place is a wonderful place. It's a beautiful place. It's a place where there's always and forever joy and blessing and fellowship with God and believers forever and ever and ever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a hope. What a glorious, wonderful thing for us as believers. Next we go to Luke 15. I'm not going to read through this. This is a chapter about the lost. You know, you got the lost sheep, you got the lost coin, you got the lost son. I'm just going to talk here about the lost son a little bit. One called the prodigal son. It's about a prodigal son. It's about a compassionate, loving father. It's about this prodigal son is a sinner, and he's no small sinner. He is a big sinner. It's about this son coming to his senses. That is, he's convicted of his sin. He sees that he's unworthy in the sight of God. He's the son who goes back to his father, and he repents of his sins to his father, and his father forgives him, and his father then blesses him. That's the story. A lot of things there. I'm going to just sum this up very quickly. And this is what our Heavenly Father is like. He's loving, compassionate, forgiving, and giving. When you think about the gospel and salvation, it's that he takes away our sins, but he gives us eternal life. He gives us blessing. He gives us a future. He gives us friends. He gives us so much. I mean, the blessings of salvation, we could do three or four messages on that alone. And so that's salvation. Taking away the bad and giving the good. And that's what this father does, because he has his big party, big celebration. Hey, go take the catted, fatted calf, you know, put on a robe, put on a ring, give him sandals, shoes to wear, put on his feet. Sad part, another son who's an example of a Pharisee. And a Pharisee is a person who may think he is good outwardly. He's one who may think he is a righteous man, or he might look like he's a righteous man. We go through life, and we see people. All of you have done this, and you see a person, and whether it's somebody at work or a neighbor or a friend or family, and they look like they're a good person. They look like they're a good person, and outwardly they may be a good person as we look at things from a worldly point of view. You understand what I'm saying? So here's this Pharisee this son. And he's a picture of the Pharisee because Jesus was talking to the Pharisees here. And he's an example of a person who's an unrighteous person. He's a sinner, but he's self-righteous. And self-righteous person, people are always unrighteous people. Got it? Very important. So let's think about this very simple, the big picture in this. You got everybody in the world's a sinner, right? Right? Everybody's a sinner. Next point is this. Some of those sinners know they're sinners, right? Some says, well, I'm not really a sinner. I may be a little bit. I'm really self-righteous. That's the second point. The third point of the people who know they're sinners, some of those get saved, right? But unrighteous people, never. Self-righteous people, never get saved. Never, never, never. So here's this guy. Man, I've been doing everything you want all my life. I've been a good person, righteous person. And look at this bad son, son of yours, and he's all this evil and wicked. You forgive him. What are you doing? He had no concept of his sin and his self-righteousness. And this is a major, major point with people when you talk about Christianity and the gospel. They're good people, they look like, but they're self-righteous. I mean, this was me when I was young. 
I was, you know, I got my good citizenship, but in, not only in eighth grade, but in twelfth grade as a senior. You know, good citizen of Kemper High School. <laughs> I was self-righteous, okay? I was a Pharisee. That's what I was. Okay. We continue. Luke 16. And we're not going to, um, I can't read all this. But you know the story. 16 verses 19 to 31. This is about a rich man and a poor man. Rich man and a poor man. This rich man is obviously consumed with the world and with fleshly things. But it's also true that he's clearly unrepentant because the story is, what we read here, is that he goes to hell. And there he then is, sees there's no mercy. He's continually punished. He's in an eternal state of pain. Remember that little part there? Hey, can I have a little water to cool my tongue off? No. I mean, a person in hell wants relief, no relief, 24-7, day or night, forever and ever and ever, no relief. That is the story. Now, you can't change anything, too. That's another point. Once you're in, in this, this part of the world, this, this hell, you can't change because it's a permanent state of pain and punishment. You can't change it. You're living now in this life, and you can change certain things. You understand changing certain things. You can't change a thing. It's set. That's the way it is. Then you have this, this poor man. Clearly, he was a, a poor man. He was a beggar outside the gates of this rich man and didn't have much. But he must have repented of his sins because he's in heaven. He's in paradise. He's with the Lord. Everything is good. He's blessed forever, always, in love, always loved and blessed by God. And a couple points here to conclude with in this one. We learn that you should never look at someone's wealth or status on earth. Never do that. Never do that. What's most important is where a person spends eternity. We all understand this, and I do this more than I should do it. I look at people, how they dress and how they look and how they talk, and, oh, that's, he's a nice person. Oh, that person looks like they're a sinner. That person needs to be saved. Everybody apart from Christ, no matter what they look like, no matter their status, their wealth, their riches, is a sinner and needs to be saved. So always remember that. Just don't categorize. And we tend to do it because we see the world does it all the time. We're in the world. and Don't do that. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, we recognize no man according to the flesh, no man by their appearance. Finally, we learn the last couple of verses that seeing some special sign from God on this earth doesn't help us to repent. That's not the point. People have to just give me a sign from God, and we tend to like signs ourselves. Oh, I got a sign from God today that he sort of likes me and did this nice thing for me, okay? Be careful of signs. Yes, God can do that. But don't look to him. Don't depend on him. The point here is for the unsaved, and they were, you go through the gospel, hey, give us a sign, give us a sign. They're always asking for the sign. No, no signs. He says, look to the word of God and believe the word of God. That's what you need to do. And the point for you is so simple here with reference to the gospel and sharing to the lost is that you share the gospel. You share the word of God. That's what you do. They want some kind of sign. No, you share the gospel. That's what you do. Just go to the word. And that's what I'm taking this time here so you can see all these verses you're talking about the gospel. You got all that you need to share with people about ones who are lost. Luke 18, 9 to 14. I'll read this section here. Luke 18, 9 to 14. 
He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to the heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Very important. Contrast, again, this unsaved person and an unsaved, the one who gets saved. The unsaved person is the Pharisee. and It says that he's, he's praying to himself. This should tell you enough. He's praying to himself. He's not praying to God. And he's, he's, he's talking about all his good works just talking about it. Look at all I do. And he's comparing himself to this other person, to those who are outwardly sinful, this tax collector. He is definitely a sinful person. And he was. And he's thinking to himself that he is righteous. I'm righteous. He's unrighteous. See, again, that comparison we people we contend to. Don't do that. But, but he's wrong. He's proud. He's trusting in himself and his good deeds and his good works, but he's not trusting in Christ. That's the point here. That's the point. And again, this person is one who is self-righteous. As I said before, self-righteous people are unrighteous people, and unsaved, then they will go to hell. That's what happens. A simple, simple lesson. We continue on. More about this tax collector. He's also unsaved, but what do we see? He's humble. He admits that he is a sinner, He's not saying he's righteous like this other person, this Pharisee. He's saying that he is unrighteous, and he asked God to have mercy. And that's the point. I love that verse. I, mercy, have mercy on me. Give me forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I admit it. I'm wrong. And, and, and God gives him mercy. That's the point. God gives him mercy. He justifies him and makes him righteous in his sight. It's by the work of Christ on the cross. But it includes with this foundational truth. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. The point is this, is a person to be saved, they've got to be humble. Humility is the root. It comes before repentance, okay? Repentance means you admit that you're wrong. Only humble people admit they're wrong. Humility. So you pray for some person who's lost, say, God, help them be humble. Help them be humble. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And everyone who humbles and he who exalts himself will be humbled. We continue on. Luke 18. 18 to 20. I'm going to read this section here. Again, it's instructive. Ruler questioned Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. 
And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Easier, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They heard it and said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with God, people are impossible with God. Good lessons here. Let me just go through a few here. You have this rich young ruler. He tells Jesus that he wants eternal life. That's a good thing. Good thing. He wants eternal life. He's on the right track there. So Jesus then knows that he needs to help him see that he's a sinner because a person needs to know that they're a sinner before then they can be forgiven of their sins, okay, and receive eternal life. So he understood that, and of course that's we have to share the gospel. This is, this is fundamental. If you're talking to a lost person, you have to help them see their sin. And, and that's one of the main things you see that Jesus, the very important truth, help people see that they're sinners. And what did he do? He used the Ten Commandments. That's what he was doing here in this first part. And he told them that the rich ruler, he needed to perfectly keep God's commandments to receive eternal life. And that's, again, a simple thing. That's true. You need to be perfect to get to heaven. You need to be perfect to have eternal life. You need to be perfect. You've got to be perfect. That's what he needs. So this young man says he had kept God's commandments. Jesus knew that he hadn't, but knew that he's still a sinner. And, and you know, what's interesting here is, is, is Jesus could have gone back and said, no, you, you didn't do all that. And so you see even this gentleness, this kindness, this love that Jesus had for this rich young ruler, his patience with them. It says that in 2 Timothy 2, be patient with people as you're sharing the gospel with them. And so Jesus again tries to help this man see that he is a sinner. Okay? Jesus knows that people need to see their sinners and be convicted of their sin and then confess their sin. And that's, he understands that, that course. Jesus tells me to sell all that he has and gives to the, give to the poor and then follow him. And what Jesus knows, Jesus be omniscient, he knows that this is his real root sin. It's sinned all those other ways before, but this is the big thing. This is the big sin, and this is instructive because sometimes people, you want to help them see what's their major sin. He says, you love your money, but you don't love God. That's your sin. You love money, but you don't love God. And so what happens, this man isn't willing to forsake his sin and follow God. Jesus, so he remains then an unsaved sinner. We read here in Matthew 19, the corresponding verses says, says, but when the young man heard the statement, he, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. So he was sad. He didn't want to give up his sin. He didn't understand things. I don't know. He wasn't convicted. A lot of people like this. They hear the gospel and I got to do this and and again, it's not a matter of, of just the action of this sin. You're a rich man. You don't want to sell your things and follow me. It's, it's the heart. Jesus always getting to the heart. That's what it is. And so make, Jesus then makes this point that it's hard for rich people to get saved. And, then, and that means it's true. That on average, in general, more rich people don't get saved than the average person. Okay, it's just That doesn't mean they don't. With all the rich people, there's a less percentage of rich people saved than the average people. That's, that's what he's saying there, okay? But he ends on a real positive note. It's interesting what he says here. He says, hey, God can do the impossible. And I, I believe what he's saying to us is that God can save anybody. 
Remember before how I said you can tend to look at people and, yeah, I think that one's savable. I think that one's too far gone. No, I, and, we, and we do this, and it's not right. We, we judge people. And we should have this attitude here that God can save anybody he wants to save because God is the God of the impossible. They're rich or poor, whatever they are, super self-righteous, whatever. God can save anybody, anybody. So never give up praying for people. That's the point I want to say. God can do the impossible. With God, all things are possible. There's a story in Luke about this. Another one next, we'll look at it more next week. We continue on. Just a couple more passages here. Luke 24. Verses 44 to 46. And this relates to what we talked about last week. Verse 44, he's talking to his disciples. He said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, and all that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, we see the focus on the scriptures. But that last verse is, is again instructive. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So God must open up your mind. He must open up the mind of the unbeliever. He must then enable that believer to understand the truth, understand his sin, and then repent and be saved. That's, that's what must happen. God's got to do that. And so I, I share all these things today. I repeat what I said before. So you can further understand the gospel. We went through a lot of things. A lot of things. You need to go back and read these verses yourself or read the notes I've got back there. A lot of things that are very instructive for your own Christian life. I have eternal life. I'm in the kingdom of God, whatever, whatever. I need to love God more because I'm, I've sinned a lot. Okay, lots of, lots of things. But also then thinking about the people you know that are Christians, maybe young Christians, this will help them understand the gospel. But even then, as I mentioned many times here, sharing with the lost, these are passages that are good passages. So what I would hope, and I'm probably thinking, probably summarize these and maybe a couple pieces of paper when I'm all done with this series on the gospel, where you just go, here's the passages. So as you're thinking about some person who's unsaved and you're sharing the gospel with them, you might reference one of these in particular. Or it might be somebody, you send them a note and you just write out these few verses to them, okay? But I'm just saying all these, this composite together, give us really good information about the gospel and and what happens when people saves us? Saves what happens when, when God saves us from our sin? So, I'll say this though: if you're today, you're not saved, or you're listening on, you need to be saved. Ask God to save you. Ask God to open your eyes so you can see you're a sinner. Ask God to help you then to repent of your sin, to tell God that you're sorry that you that that you sinned against Him. Ask God to help you see who Jesus is, what he did, that he is God, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Savior, the Lord, the Christ. They died on the cross to pay for your sins and then rose again. That's the gospel in a nutshell. So if you're here today or listen online, this is what's most important, more than any single other thing in your life, this one simple message, the gospel. So it lays your life here, but more importantly, forever and ever. Finally, we conclude Luke 24, 47 to 49. That, 46. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead that third day, 
and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Point's very simple. Is now's the time for people to get saved. And, and this is the work of the church. This is given to the church, but all of us are members of the church. And so the work is for us as individuals. It is work for us collectively. This is what we are to do. This should be the mission of Hope Bible Church. It is our mission, but I mean in practice to see this is what I'm to do. I'm to proclaim uh, this message uh, in his name. All the nations, repentance of forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. So might God speak to your hearts as we think about this day and we go on from here. You all have people you know. They may be somebody on the street. They may be a loved one, a family member. And pray for them and ask God to give you the opportunity to share the gospel, however that may work out. And be a testimony. Do what you can to love people in little ways or big ways, whatever it might be. I mean, just this little example. So yesterday morning, it was about a year ago, and neighbors moved in, and the guy and his friend were unloading the truck, the U-Haul truck, and it was a hot day. It was probably July. So I go give them a Gatorade. You should get a Gatorade, you know, chilled Gatorade. They were very thankful. So yesterday morning, there they are. They're packing up. This guy's a doctor moving back to Kansas City. And so there's more there. So I take a whole chest, you know, the styrofoam chest, and ice in it, and seven Gatorades. I said, here. <laughs> you know, got his phone number, shook his hand, and said goodbye. I never shared the gospel with a person, but you do things you can do to love people, okay? Just, there's all, you can love people, the lost, in ways every week there's opportunities, I'm convinced of it. And so just be thinking and praying how you can be a testimony, how you can be a witness, not by just your words. We've been talking about words here, but also by your life, by your example. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for your great love for us. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. This is an amazing message. We have, we've skimmed over a lot of things this morning, important truths. And I pray, Father, that you would bring these truths back to our memory, back to our heart, and help us to understand them because we can sort of know it in our head a little bit, but getting in our heart is what's really important. So I ask you to help them as they go over these thoughts, as they review these notes, they look over these verses of the notes that I wrote out, God, that you would help them. And help us, Lord, as a church, then, to be more of a gospel-proclaiming church, proclaiming repentance and faith in Christ. But thank you, Lord, that you've left us here for this purpose. I just pray, again, you'd use every one of us, again, whether it's by our examples, our testimony, Lord, whether it's by our words, we pray that you would use us. But thank you again for each one here. In our own lives, we all go different through different things and different struggles and trials, and I've had a few this week, and everybody here has had a few this week. I know that. That's just the way life is to get our attention in yourself and to see that you want to use us and you want to help us and you want to encourage us. As I read today in Psalm 54 that, Lord, you are our helper. You are the one who sustains our soul. And thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that we have you. And most important in life is this eternal life, which is our relationship with you, with you, Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that, Father, for each of us here, that we grow in our walk with you. And then, Lord, we can be ones who can grow in doing the work you want us to do. Thank you again. Now we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.